Chapter 2 Cat 5 Super Shit Storm We are all broken. That's how the light gets in. Unknown. Gary became the father I didn't know I needed. He was an upstanding man in life and as a father. He was also in possession of both an admirable work ethic and his own business. He became the first real model of entrepreneurship that I got to see up close and in action. That would turn out to be a very good thing for me. But first, I would enjoy life as Gary's son. Although he did not recommend my going into the same line of work. Concrete is backbreaking work, son. Stay away from it. He did encourage me to go into business for myself and learn to become more independent. My mom is an amazing and loving mother, but she had very limiting beliefs about money that she herself had been taught from childhood. She couldn't help passing on this lack mentality to me and my brothers. She often used phrases like, money doesn't grow on trees, or we can't afford that. Sound familiar? Luckily, I had Gary's living example. You can start your own business and make your own money. He also employed basic human kindness principles to his business, like treating and paying employees well. I think I learned even more from Gary's example than by his words. Seeing him in action made a deep impression on me from an early age. As we grow up, we all receive messages about money and its power from our parents. Sometimes we are told things explicitly, like money is the root of all evil, or rich people are assholes. But we often learn from our parents' attitude toward money as well. They reiterate the beliefs that their parents taught them, and since we're born with no preconceived notions about money, we naturally pick up on whatever our parents accept as truth. It's a never-ending cycle, passed down from generation to generation. For instance, when you were a child, were your parents hunted by debt collectors? Or were they always clipping coupons? Did they spend recklessly or pinch their pennies? What sort of messages about money did you pick up in your childhood? What was, if you recall, your earliest understanding of money? The beliefs you acquired surrounding money in your formative years have more than likely stuck with you like a bad rash until this very day. But this, my friend, can be changed. Gary taught me much by example, and not just in business matters. He showed me how to behave in the world beyond the office too. How I should treat others with respect at all times because it's the right thing to do, and how being a good man means being responsible and kind. When he married our mother, Gary immediately accepted me and my brother Matt as his own, even though he had a daughter from a previous relationship. He never made us feel less than. He was as rock solid as the concrete he worked with. Despite all this, by the time I was 10, and although they'd had a son of their own together, Jason, my parents sadly got a divorce. They still loved each other, they just weren't in love with each other. Still, proving he couldn't be a more complete opposite of asshat James, Gary stood tall like a man taking care of us, paying the mortgage, and paying for our school clothes, and always making himself available to do father-son activities. One of the ways he showed his love after the divorce was staying up till 4 a.m. on Christmas Eve each year so he could build the gifts from Santa while we slept. He would then show up again at our house at 5 a.m. to celebrate Christmas with us. And there were those crack-of-dawn Sunday mornings when he would drive me around on my paper route. We'd load up his brown and orange Ford Bronco with bundles of thick-ass Sunday papers and wind our way through the neighborhood before daylight. Once all the papers were safely delivered to their respective porches or an adjacent tree, Dad would then reward us with breakfast at Winchell's Donuts. That was the best. Well, Dad was the best. Taking my cue from him, I still like to reward myself after a job well done, only instead of donuts, it's usually something more like a nice glass of bourbon these days.
Still, it doesn't quite match the feeling of satisfaction I had back in the day when I got to sink my teeth into those freshly made apple fritters, a well-deserved reward after an energized morning's work and the promise of a whole day still to come. Do you reward yourself after completing a project or finishing a job and doing it well? If you don't, I recommend that you start. The reward shouldn't be too big or occur too often. It should just be a small treat and it shouldn't take too much time out of your day. If the reward takes longer than the job you're rewarding yourself for, you're probably doing it wrong. A small reward is good for a little self-recognition. It's a fist bump you can give yourself. Dad is no longer with me to enjoy those rewards. He's been gone for more than three decades now, but I'm still as grateful today, or even more so, for all he did for me when I was growing up. If I have one regret in my life, it's that I didn't express my appreciation to him enough while he was still around. But I will still give him the credit he is due here in writing, for all the help he gave me toward putting me on the road to becoming a better person. There was a measurable difference in the level of my confidence under the care of a competent father instead of a complete asswipe. For instance, at the time my mom left James, I was painfully shy, so timid in fact that my first day of kindergarten was an absolute disaster. The way my mom tells it, I basically hid under my desk crying until she came back to get me. Not a great start to my young school career. Once Gary became my dad and things settled, everything changed. I must have been feeling much more secure because the turnaround was dramatic. I flourished. I got straight A's, and I was good at sports, particularly at baseball and soccer. I was the only kid in the 9- to 10-year-old division in my hometown Little League to ever hit a home run over the fence off the pitcher. I wonder if that record still stands. I even ended up traveling around the country and Canada with my soccer team to play in competitive tournaments. I never missed an all-star team in my childhood sports career. I had reached the age of 12, happy, healthy, and popular. Everything in my life was going great until I was accused of being a rapist. The shit hits the fan. It started off innocently enough. I had a few friends, boys and girls, over to our house after school one day. Mom wasn't home from work yet, and we were hanging out, laughing, playing around, roughhousing, like 12-year-old kids do. We were being silly, acting like the stupid kids we were. Then, out of left fucking field, one of my friends exposed himself to everyone. There it was, his little 12-year-old prepubescent wiener, out for all the world to see. This did not go over well. Everything stopped. Dude, what the hell is wrong with you? The rest of us guys were shocked, but the girls were understandably more so. The next four days at school were as mundane as any other four-day stretch at middle school USA. Math tests, lunch with friends, PE class, etc., but then, apparently, some girls started teasing the girls who'd been over at my place about how they'd been partying with a bunch of boys. I'm guessing that someone must have said something about the wanker show because suddenly the girls were being accused of being sluts by the other girls. The girls started crying, and then, wanting to defend their reputations, they began spinning a story about how the boys had attacked them. WTF? Where was this four days earlier? The bullshit story spread like a raging forest fire in gale force winds in the middle of a 10-year drought. The icing on the proverbial cake was when the girls were called into the vice principal's office. Things were about to get significantly worse. The girls must have been sweating bullets under the hot lights of the interrogation room and not wanting to be caught in their lie or to be seen as harlots. So, under intense pressure from the vice principal to name names and report the incident to the police, that's exactly what they did. Next thing I knew, little 12-year-old Chris and the four other boys at the house that day were being arrested and charged with sex crimes. 
It was a shitstorm of the worst possible magnitude. A Cat 5 super shitstorm. I was interrogated by the police, arrested, and criminally charged. I had my mugshot and fingerprints taken, the whole nine yards. At least I wasn't thrown into an actual jail cell. Instead, I was released to go home to slowly construct my own private prison of the mind. The thing I remember most about this time was just how confused I was by it all. Even though I barely had an understanding of sex, let alone rape at the time, I was now labeled a sexual predator in the local newspapers, seen as a rapist by all my neighbors, expelled from school, and was awaiting a criminal trial, all before the age of 13. I can't imagine the grief and torment my mother must have gone through, watching helplessly as her firstborn child endured the wrath of a system off its rails and out of control. There I was, isolating at home, with no friends, no school, and nothing to do. I spent my days in front of the TV, watching every episode of Gilligan's Island and The Price is Right. I couldn't step outside my door without feeling the stares of my neighbors boring into my skull or hearing the hissing of their whispers behind my back. I felt very alone. I was very alone. Outside of my family, my mother, father, and brothers had my back, even though they were taking a lot of shit for being related to an accused sex criminal, there was only one other person who didn't turn his back on me. Mark. He was my friend from school. He didn't do anything special, it was just that he stayed my friend. He came over, ate pizza, played video games, and we played baseball together. Throughout the whole decade, he never changed who he was or how he treated me. I don't think I truly understood what a help he was to me at the time, though, how he was the only oasis in the desert. I was too busy going from sad to depressed to hopeless and finally to pissed off. I got sick of being a helpless victim of the system and wanted it to be over so that I could go back to living my life. Mark gave me the space to feel all these things without judgment. I grew up a lot during that dark and difficult episode. I went from being an innocent kid who was happy with his simple life to a young man on a mission to clear his name. And as a result, I grew increasingly resentful of authority and establishment. I started hating everything and everyone. I was angry and bitter most of the time and did not have an outlet. I started to question everything. The system I had been raised to trust had failed me. But while this may not have been the way I would have chosen to grow into a stronger person, this is the hand I was dealt, and so I was forced to play it. The feelings I went through helped to shape my outlook on life. I'm glad that I let myself feel what I needed to feel at the time. I think that allowing children and young adults to feel how they need to feel is the healthiest thing for them, and that self-expression helps them grow into the people they are meant to be. More on that in the next chapter. So, how did this situation get resolved? The charges were dropped. The judge called everyone into his chambers before the trial started. The accused, the accusers, and our families. Then he asked the girl's parents if, had they not been influenced by the vice principal, any of them felt the incident was one that truly needed to be tried as a criminal case in a court of law. The girls and their parents all agreed that it most certainly did not, and the case was officially dismissed. Great! What a victory, right? Wrong. The damage, and it was severe, had already been done. We tried to undo it as best we could. The families of the accused boys sued the school district and the police department, but after six years, we lost the civil lawsuits by jury counts of seven to five. Even more aggravating was that even though our names were technically cleared, the media didn't bother to report our innocence. It was old news. Boring. They'd moved on to the next thing. My mother spent a great deal of money she didn't have on attorney fees to defend her innocent son. But even she says that the whole incident was a crash course in how to stand up for herself and what she believed in. 
And this is what I meant about how the failures and struggles in your life paved the way for your joys and successes yet to come. You might not like how it feels when you're going through those things, you might even hate it, like I did, and it might take years to realize why something happened to you or what benefit you got from it. But trust me, during those dark and lonely times, you forged the tools you need to build your future success. What about you? I'm not a person who blames others for my failures, but I do like to give people credit where credit is due. That's another thing that Gary, my stepdad, taught me. He showed up at the time in my life when I most needed him, and he continued to show up many other times and in many other ways for me until the day he died. So what about you? Was there ever someone in your life who gave you the support you needed when you needed it most? Even if they did it only once and you never saw them again, did anyone ever give you direction and guidance with no agenda other than to help you succeed? Think back to your childhood. It might have been someone in your family, a teacher, a schoolmate, even a complete stranger. Whoever they were, they, when you were down, lifted you up and made you feel that maybe the universe was on your side. Have you got someone in mind? Great. Did you ever get to thank this person properly, aloud or to their face? I feel like I never truly expressed my gratitude, or at least enough gratitude, to my dad Gary for all he did for me. If the person you named above has also passed on, why not write them a thank you letter anyway? Put into words all that you'd have liked to tell them when they were still alive. But if they are still alive, then why not write them a real letter that you can send by post or email? Or give them a call, or video call, or text them or try contacting them on social media, etc. I recommend writing a letter if possible because it gives them something physical to hold in their hands and refer to time and again whenever they wish. Also, many people find it easier to express in the written word what can be difficult to say face to face. Plus, since receiving personal letters through the mail is such a rarity these days, finding one in your mailbox can be a real treat. And when that letter is a litany of gratitude, it can be of particular sentimental value. Certainly, the people who have provided more than their weight in gold in our lives deserve a little treasure to call their own. Finally, is there someone in your life right now who you could be like a Gary or a Mark to? Someone who could use your friendship and support, your guidance, or even mentorship. Someone you can help with no other agenda except to give them the boost that they might need. If you want to be successful yourself, you have to help others on the road to success as well. And once you're successful, you'll need to keep helping others in order to retain your own success. No man or woman is a success without friends. And when that circle of friends is also successful, well then you have it made. There's always room for another person to join the circle because it always remains a circle. It just grows bigger. In fact, it was the importance of the support that a circle of new friends gave me that would be the next lesson I learned on my own road to success, as you will read about in the next chapter. It would also be one that entrepreneur Janice would learn, as she explained in an interview. I felt like my whole world crashed down on me. An interview with Janice, beauty influencer, YouTuber, owner of Jay Lee Beauty. Janice was raised by a single mother who worked hard to make ends meet. She dreamt of becoming a wealthy and successful business person when she grew up. I asked her to share her story and to share any words of advice that she thought might be helpful to you, no matter what stage of the journey you might be in right now. What was it like for you growing up? I had very humble beginnings. I grew up watching my single mom struggling to pay bills and always aspired to make something of myself to help her out. We never had enough money. There were times we didn't even have a car and it was really difficult for us to even buy clothing. So I was always dreaming of having more and of being more. 
Dad left us when I was five, so my mother had no choice but to get a job and leave me in my grandmother's care. Some of my earliest memories are of me playing with my grandmother's things. I used to try on her ginormous heels and paint on crooked red lips with her lipstick. I wanted to be like her. She used to make herself up so pretty, and when she did, I could see it lifted her spirits. Life was hard for all of us, but makeup had a way of making you look put together even when you were falling apart, like it made you stronger. So my love of makeup began early, like super early. I loved it so much that I would do stuff like trade my new Barbie dolls for old makeup from Walmart. I was only five or something, but I was really happy with my trade. I definitely felt like I'd really gotten the better part of the deal. I loved playing with makeup more than toys. Wow, so when did makeup become a career for you instead of just a hobby? It wasn't until after I had my baby. I had a C-section and was totally unprepared for how bad I would feel afterward. I was in a lot of pain. I couldn't even cough or sneeze without hurting myself. I was really depressed about it, so a cousin of mine suggested that I watch something funny, like comedy videos on YouTube or something, to cheer myself up. After watching comedy videos for a while, it occurred to me that there might be other kinds of videos on YouTube that could cheer me up too, and I began looking up stuff like makeup tutorials. After watching a bunch of them, I couldn't help but thinking, hey, I can do that. Plus, I was lonely and bored and wanted to make friends, so I decided to give it a try. I figured out the best time to film myself was when the baby went down for his nap, and that's what I began doing. I set my old camera up on a cardboard box and began shooting and posting my videos online. They went viral instantly. I thought I'd make like 100 friends tops, but I got over a thousand hits really quickly. Some of my videos have now hit a half million views, a few have literally had millions. This got me noticed by YouTube who asked me to partner with them. They were like, we'll send you a laptop and equipment, you just keep filming out of your room. And I did well for a while until I began feeling, I don't know, stuck. Like I wanted to move on, do more. I'm always like that. I want to see what's coming next, keep moving. When I was a kid, we didn't have a lot of money, like I said, so I would go to my mother and say, give me $5 and I'll turn it into 25 And I would. I would use the money to buy bags of candy and then sell the individual pieces from outside my bedroom window to passers-by. My mom would then get her money back and ask for a loan on top of that. I was always business-minded, making deals, selling and trading, trying to make a profit. So, you've been very entrepreneurial since you were a kid. Oh yes, definitely. So, when I wanted to be doing more, my husband reminded me how much I loved manicures and suggested that I go after my nail technician license. Nails and makeup are kind of related, you know. They're both about beauty, and this would sort of expand me as a brand. I began dreaming of having my own nail salon in a casino. So I worked hard, graduated nail school, and in time, was able to make that dream come true when I became the proud owner of a salon in a major hotel. It had my name on it and everything. You made your dream come true. Yes. A nail technician license is pretty expensive, too. After a while, though, since I was working out of a casino, I began doing celebrity nails, which is where the real money is. This got me a reputation and then a second salon. I wanted to open a third, but then became overwhelmed with running the business. Managing a salon out of a casino is different from running your own little place on a street corner. There are expenses and fees and complications when you're attached to a name brand like that, and I couldn't keep up with the payments for it all. And I ended up losing both salons, everything I worked so hard for. I'd put all my savings into it, about $150,000 of my own money, and I still couldn't keep up. I was devastated. 
Tell me more about how losing your dream affected you emotionally. I felt like my whole world crashed down on me, and I felt like a failure, like the worst person. It was probably one of the hardest times in my life. I even thought about suicide because I was so unhappy. Looking back though, I'm kind of glad I went through that time, because I believe everything happens for a reason. I'm actually really grateful that it happened, because I feel so much happier now. How did you turn things around and pick yourself back up again? I decided that I should have multiple streams of income. I didn't want to have all my money invested in just one business venture, because I saw that if I lost that one business, I lost everything. So I went back to makeup and began putting out more content on YouTube. I also kept doing celebrity nails, because I realized that I didn't need to have a glamorous casino salon to continue doing that. I could just work as a freelance manicurist. My clients pay to have me flown to where they are, because I know how to do their nails just the way they want them. And I also opened an online boutique, we're talking clothes now. I run my beauty store and fashion clothing line through Facebook without having to worry about a storefront. My brand is my own, not attached to anyone else's, and my sales have gone through the roof. I'm doing what I love, and I'm making other people happy. How do you make others happy? People send me emails telling me how good and empowered they feel after learning makeup techniques from my videos. People love to feel beautiful. I love to make people up too, and see how they brighten up when I've done their faces. What do you think you've learned from what happened to you? I've learned that money isn't everything, believe it or not. That success is based on perception, and that it's okay to fail because you can get yourself back up again. I'm so thankful that I wasn't able to continue with my nail salons. At the time, they were what I thought my success was supposed to look like. But now I have something that I'm truly happy with. Plus, I get to appreciate family time in my current situation. I've grown a lot from those experiences because they made me who I am today, and actually prepared me for what I had coming, which is what I'm doing now. Do you think you would have gotten what you have now had you not pursued the original dream of the beauty salons in the casino? Absolutely not. I had to go through that first. Like I said, I wanted to commit suicide at one point, but I had my faith, and God really let me feel confident to move forward and keep going. I feel like that's what separates the people who eventually find success from those who don't. You've got to keep going. Don't be afraid of failure. Get yourself right back up again if you do. When I lost my nail salons and all my investments in them, I took a chance on investing another $50,000 into a business and I didn't even know if I was going to succeed. It was a risk that paid off and now I'm selling out of everything. What advice would you give to somebody who's going through a similar experience where they were initially successful and then failed in a big way and had their dreams crushed? That it's okay to feel like you're a failure. It's okay to feel like you're not worth it. It's okay to feel what you feel. Don't judge yourself for feeling how you feel. If you feel like you have to cry for a whole week, cry for a whole week, but then let it go. Because if you don't face it and you try to pretend everything's okay, it's only going to get worse. It'll catch up to you, so allow yourself to feel that failure. Allow yourself to feel your emotions, process them. From my experience, I feel like my faith is what kept me going, and I maintain that through prayer. And it helped me to get myself back up again. So whatever it is that you believe in, use that to find the confidence to keep going. Also, use anything and every tool you have to make yourself successful. I load up on keychains or scarves and give them out to people who've been kind enough to give me a shout-out or a Yelp review because I appreciate that they've taken the time to do that for me. In fact, some of my business relationships have turned into friendships because we've supported and encouraged one another on social media. 
Being generous to others inspires others to be generous to you and helps make your own business grow. I can genuinely say I feel so fulfilled in my life right now. God gave me everything I desired. Janice's story is inspiring on many levels. She actually achieved her dream, but then had it snatched away from her. This brought her down to such a low point that she nearly gave up on life. But she did not let defeat win. Instead, she refused to give up. She held on to hope, to her faith, and to her determination. She found a new dream that she loves even more, and in chasing it, didn't just pull herself out of the hole she'd been in, she took herself to the top of the mountain of success. Her parting words of advice were to cultivate both an attitude of generosity, you have to give to receive, and a community of support among other professionals. I too have found that having some form of a tribe is essential to success, as you will see in the following chapter.